Hello, everybody. It's Bill from the Sit Rep Podcast, and we are coming back for the next exciting episode of the Sit Rep Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to tackle the question that's been out on the interweb. What era or battle would you not gain? Also, we have an additional person sitting in on the call, and we're going to welcome him back. And we'll talk about other things, and Marty has the news. And get ready in three, two, one. Big Duke, six Eagle Trust. Put on Sidewar up. Make it loud. And the Romeo Fox God, Shall we dance? You are listening to the Citrep Podcast. Your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. All right, we are back. And just as a note, this is pre-recorded by a week because one of us is going to be in sunny southern Florida looking at new boats. So, And then two others will not be in sunny southern Florida. But however, half the team will be in sunny southern Florida. Right, Sir Jim? This is correct. We're going to have uh, 50% of our battle strength deployed to the southern front. Uh, let's just say it that way. Nice. Yes. There you go. So, yeah, um, I'll be heading to the beautiful sunny shores of Miami for the International Boat Show. And then got to do the touristy thing with Donnie because, you know, she's the boss. And, and, and she lives for this. And we're going to the Disney World. So, anyway. So, uh, since I will be out of office, if you will, we decided to pre-record this episode. And that voice you heard is the myth, the legend, the man is back, Mr. Jim Mariscini. Yay! Hello, everybody. (laughs) All right. So, we're going to do our quick check-in. And Jim, since you're back, why don't you just bring us up to speed on some things? Get us started off, buddy. So what have we been up to lately? Um, we've been playing a lot of uh, war games in our time off. Uh, some of them have been posted in part on our YouTube channel, also linked over on Facebook. So we've got some Desert World War II. We've got some Naval Command. We've got some Arab-Israeli wars coming up. So there's a lot of raw footage in the can. So there'll be some more coming out in future weeks. So we've been staying busy with that. I've also been doing a little bit of... Uh, Sci-fi gaming uh, on the side, just for fun and a change of pace. Nice. nice. And honestly, I've nice. uh, been keeping an eye on Ukraine. We can probably talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, we're uh, definitely those are, Yeah, those are the things that I've pretty much been doing. Um, uh, starting a new job, uh, like reshuffling my life. It's It's been an interesting December, January, and February, to say the least. Well, we're very happy to have you back. And uh, you always bring that insight and... Kind of center us, or at least Uh, actual knowledge, actual historical knowledge versus us pulling it out of our arse. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, welcome back, sir. Uh, Well deserved break, and glad things have uh, come along for you a new career wise and all that good stuff. So, uh, we're ready to hit it. Yeah, we hope things are uh, smoothing out for you, buddy. Yeah, the dust is finally starting to settle. So, yeah, definitely glad to be back. And um, yeah, thanks for the warm welcome as always. You're welcome. All right. Do we start with the easy one? Oh. 
Chris? It might not be as easy as you think. Oh, no. Surprise. Go ahead, Chris. For this genre, I've done nothing. However, however, I've been putting together some uh, Middle Earth comics. So uh, we will take what we can get <laughs> yeah. from him. That's Let's, very we, true. We want to encourage this. This is a good thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're now moving into uh, another... I want to say phase, but another parallel universe, if you will. So, you know, you have the set rep, which is historical wargaming, and then our parallel universe is token. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. For, yeah. yeah. So, kind of geeks with that stuff. We love it. Yeah. So, we're talking about doing some Middle Earth, uh, Battles of the Middle Earth, um, looking at our rule books, and more than likely, we're going to be doing some RPGing in the Middle Earth, whether it's in 5th edition or we use the One Ring rule set since I own both. And I actually have the second edition of One Ring coming from Kickstarter soon. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, what were you doing? Building your battle uh, fields of Pelennor? Yes. Yeah. Nice. You like those models? They're nice models. They're very nice models. Yeah, they are. They're very crisp. I mean, say what you will about GW. It, yeah, I was about to make the same point. Yeah. I mean, you know. One, they're really proud of their their stuff, and that angers me. Uh, just, I mean, they they price a lot of people out of the market. I think, or yeah. it's a barrier to entry with uh, some of their prices and the way some of their set uh, box sets in particular are set up. But man, they've got good models. Yeah, they do. You, can, I don't think anyone can bitch about that. Yeah, they do. Um, it, which brings up another point. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was an announcement that the people who own the rights to Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit stuff are now. Uh, everything's up for relicensing. Oh, I did not yeah. see that. So that, that includes games, videos, you know, so everything. We gonna so. put a bit in. Um, <laughs> so uh, guys, look for the uh, new Patreon page for to support us or our Kickstarter GoFundMe page. Yeah, right. Uh, as we try to gain the <laughs> billions of dollars you need to license the Hobbit. Hello. That's that, that's the man upstairs talking to us. Um, but I, I was gonna say that's very <laughs> timely. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that is up for, so I don't know if GW will continue or not. That'll be very interesting to find out. Yeah. Um, well, they're still releasing stuff. They are. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the licenses haven't expired. It's just they're up for renewal or somebody can overbid. and Right, but, it, I, so. but I'm saying apparently the GW as a company must still have some interest uh, yeah. in it because they're not, like, just, you know, it's not out of production. They're not right. letting it just sit on the shelf. You know, that they're. Well, it'll things. be interesting to follow because if somebody else does get the licensing for it, well, then things then get crazy. They're going to get crazy because then everything in GW lands will become a collector's edition, which is going to jack up the price. They can no, more. no so. longer uh, produce so. the exact models right. they've already so. got now. Correct. So the, the license is up. That's just like uh, so. Smart will games. no longer be six hundred and forty-five dollars. It'll be fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. man. To your point, Chris, Mantic. Uh, Lost, I don't want to say lost the license, but the license expired for with The Walking Dead. So as of the end of March, they can no longer produce any Walking Dead material. So anything they still have in stock gets destroyed. It oh, can't be resold. So oh, they stop selling. Gross. It gets pulled out of their catalog. It can't be offered for sale or anything like that. So, And they um, don't even get run out on their stock? No. Oh, that can't sell it them. once you lose the license. So, yeah. I mean, if somebody else picks up the license, they could probably sell their stock to them, I guess, for rebranding or something, but I don't know. But uh, according to Ronnie, as of the end of March, they can no longer handle anything Walking Dead. So, so is there a giant fire sale on that shit right I now? think there is. That's just, um, that's you know, Dawn has her 
her initial set from the Walking Dead boot camp, which Ronnie signed. Um, so, Very nice. Yeah. So, anyway. Hey, it's nourishment time. Uh, all right, Marty, what you got for us? So, uh, you know, oddly enough, we were talking about The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, continuing from last week, still working on uh, uh, my Zombicide guys. I am halfway through uh, painting the zombie set uh, kit. Uh, but, uh, I, as I said last time also, I received my Kickstarter for uh, Savage Frontier. And I have uh, begun assembling them. Uh, I painted the, uh, uh, you remember the uh, uh, Pathfinder and uh, Wolf were like the extra yeah. figures? Yeah. So I painted them up. They oh, were, yeah? They, yeah, assembled and painted them up. They look really good. Super happy with that. So, of course, we're not doing video today. And so I didn't bring them anyway. because you know, Yeah, we didn't do video, yeah. so. But uh, so I did that. Uh, I started assembling the uh, the Ranger set. So Rogers Rangers uh, got them. I got them uh, uh, partially assembled. There's there's a lot of cleanup on them little snowshoes. Just for the record, is there really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's not horrible, but I mean, like, there's just like there's a little wire edge. You yeah. Kind of little, just a little bit of flat, and they're little fiddly parts. So trying to. Uh, you know, uh, get the get those cleaned up before I assemble them. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I've got one dude that uh, is missing a hand. Oh, did He's, you reach out to Tim? Uh, no, I figured that out last night. So oh, okay. I, I'll I'll hit him up. But I'm like, why does this dude have no left hand? Isn't there supposed to be something there? And uh, some of the figures come with, uh, you know, the hand is attached to a weapon. And uh-huh. they, but I don't have I don't know what weapon it oh, would okay. be. If like it, it's probably supposed to be a rifle because. He doesn't have one, and almost all of them do. Yeah, I would think so. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm missing one one of those. Gotcha. But uh, started putting the sled guy together too. The I I built the sled. Uh huh. Sled comes in two parts, so it's got the front of the toboggan, the curved part. Yeah. And then you glue that onto the uh the the flat base of it. Little fiddly. You know, yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, how's that connect? I mean, is it just butt up end to end, uh-huh. or there's no support there's, underneath? There's no tab, oh. or it, yeah. So, uh, uh, so I super glued it in place, and I think it's, I think it's all right. I'm gonna hit it with some green stuff. To, uh-huh. One, fill the gap, and, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and two, try and you know uh, put a better mechanical bond between those yeah. two parts. Uh, and I think it'll be all right. I mean, I I was able to pick you know, last night. I was able to pick it up and you know wave it around by either part. Nothing fell off, so. So, guys, look for an uh, upcoming video for, um, well, I'll do a review of the my set since I have not started doing anything with it, and then we'll look yeah. at that toboggan. And, you know, never, nothing is perfect, and there will be design flaws, if you will. So, we'll see. I personally do not like metal miniatures, unless they're one piece. I do not like multi-piece metal miniatures. I don't like pinning. I don't like all yeah. that stuff you got to do and, with And them. there's no way to pin the toboggan, really. Yeah. I mean, I... It's so small uh, yeah. that, you know, I suppose. So, well, I mean, we'll see, maybe, you know, I um, but, it, but I didn't is the long and short of it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it, I think it's all right. Like I said, a little, little green stuff to kind of fill it, fill the gap and make a better uh, mechanical uh, connection there. Yeah. I think it'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Oh, I, we'll do it on. I've also got some long uh, uh, oval bases. They're uh-huh. like 25, uh, 25 mil by 50 mil long. Uh-huh. And I think maybe what I'm going to do is put that on a base. There you go. I and think then, basing it would probably be the right thing. Yeah, do. I was going to say, and then I don't have to yeah. worry about no. it. 
needs to know with your base. Well, yeah, I've got the uh, so I've, Wilderness Scenics Snow Kit, and it's really nice. Yeah, I was so. gonna say so the uh, so my little uh, Pathfinder and Wolf uh, pro tip for those of you in uh, the United States: if you go to uh, the dollar store, you can get their ultra light spackle. First of all, that ain't spackle. That stuff would not fix a hole in your wall ever. <laughs> but it it seems to so far be a pretty good snow base. Nice. And, and then I'm gonna do. Uh, I have uh, uh, some. I think it's Woodland Scenic Snow. I have some snow mm-hmm. uh, that I'm gonna do over over the top of that as well as that'll be what I kind of sprinkle on top of the figures nice. to give them that winter look. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's and, and that's all I've got left to do on those dudes is put that final. Uh, you know, a little a bit of snow on there. Yeah. So uh, I definitely still want to do the board, wilderness board for that. Really? You know, I think now's the time before we start getting hard. <laughs> Hot and heavy yes. into Midway, right? So we're going to talk about Midway as well because Jim has some experience with the Midway. Um, so. was, was it hot when you were there, Jim? <laughs> um, to be honest, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, a second ago, you were talking about Zombie Side and The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. Something else that we did earlier in January is we tried Sit Rep Skirmish with The Walking Dead. Yes, you uh, did. Yeah. You guys see any of that video? Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone ever wants to try that in the future, um, I think a couple times we've we've done the play testing. We've done some play testing on stream. We've done some play testing uh, off the table, or I should say off camera. It's coming along. You know, it's it's, it's pretty solid now, and we've had a couple uh, total total party wipes, if I can get that out, total party kills, where uh, the villains pretty much just put a couple uh, bullets into the legs of the heroes, and they can't run fast enough, and before you know it, they just get swarmed with uh, swarmed with walkers, so it does work, uh, perhaps a little too well, but uh, yeah, that's another option on the table if anyone wants to try any modern slash modern adjacent, it's also technically horror, the uh, modern adjacent we're going to be in the future. That's awesome. So, yeah, if you guys have not seen that video, make sure you check out in our video library. Um, I'll try and remember to put a link to that video in the description of this podcast. Um, yeah. oh, go ahead. So, Jim, uh, you know, speaking of that, one of the things that I was when I want to play Zombicide, so my wife brought it for me at Christmas. Hey, Donna. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Robert Salter from uh, uh, Table Salt Gaming, who makes Battle Space. Oh, hey. Sorry, bud. I thought I hit uh, uh, my... Sorry, bud. Go ahead. Yeah, anyway, so now that we can hear me... <laughs> uh, sorry, right, cool. It wasn't just me. Right, no, drug, drug test the soundboard operator. I think the soundboard operator needs a drug test. Uh, or or really, he should be drinking Jamo instead of coffee. But uh, the uh, uh, I've got that Zombicide kit, and I'm getting that painted up. And part of what I wanted to use it for was Robert Salter's uh, Table Salt Gaming who makes Battle Space, uh, last Halloween, I know that he tested uh, rules for zombies for Battle Space as a Halloween thing. However, I believe it's only going to be published as uh, like an expansion or an extra whenever Modifius, can you hear me, Modifius, makes the deluxe box set. Uh, so uh, Be nice to Chris. Chris got a lot on his plate. I know, but I'm like, tell a dude to do this. We're waiting, sir. Please, <laughs> please, sir. Please, some more battle space. Zombies are a perfect. Uh, it would be a perfect fit for battle space because 
memory serves Metal Space is still a solitaire-only or a solitaire-friendly uh, game system. And, you know, zombies tend to work with a solitaire system. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever wants to play the zombies. Right. So the way it works in SITREP 6 is the normal way. Um, you know, one side plays the, air quote, protagonists. One side plays the villains. And uh, the zombies are kind of in the middle, and neither side really controls them. You know, it's almost like how the militia would pop up, and sometimes they were ambivalent, sometimes they were hostile. Well, the zombies are always hostile. They don't have ambivalent, friendly, or hostile alignment. They have hungry alignment. So they're coming for you no matter what. <laughs> hungry alignment. And it's, yeah, they're coming for, uh, you know, they're coming, you know, it's, it's like the show. They come toward noise and things like that. So a lot of the same modifiers that were in the old, uh, Benghazi system, or the system when we, when we used to play in Benghazi, making noise, setting off explosions, using vehicles in open streets, things like that. That tends to um, attract them. It was a surprisingly easy fit. There were some changes. Uh, the melee system is a little more advanced now. Um, but either way, neither side really controls the zombies. So in a solitaire system like Battle Space, yeah, zombies would be perfect because you just have to come up with some sort of very simplistic AI mechanic. I'm still convinced that this is why there are so many zombie video games out there. Right. Because coding that AI is very cheap. They all have the same basic brain, and it's very, very simple. Um, to actually make a living, breathing you know, enemy op form in a computer game is actually really hard because you have to have a really good AI, and that kind of coding is very expensive. Yeah, and, well, and there's zombies, real... you just multiply it. Yeah. yeah, there's no real tactics or doctrine involved with zombies. I mean... You know, uh, yeah, there's something that attracts them. They go towards it, and if you're there, then they try to eat your brains. That's all there is. Yeah, so it's it's very simple to code, and so and it's very simple to design as, as some sort of AI mechanic, uh, tabletop game. Either way, it's kind of the same problem, same solution from a design perspective. So I'm not surprised, and would be interested in trying that out for Metal Space. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I'm hoping to uh, you know see see those sometime here in the not too distant future. Uh, to go along with my, uh, uh, I don't know if you caught it uh, last show, Jim, but one of my goals is I want to make uh, epic battle space. So like battle space and like, I don't know. Six mil? Yeah. Well, ten, 10 mil. Probably. Yeah. So I'm like make a little box for it, right? Folds open. Uh, everything that, uh, you know, your uh, whatever little terrain and uh, figures you use, your cards, whatnot, all go inside the box. You dump everything out of the box, you flip it over, and that's your playing surface. So you have the the exterior of the box painted up as like your game mat. And then you throw your little scatter trains on there, you put your little dudes out there and away you go. Think of travel scrabble. Yeah. Or or if you look down Marty to your left, I have travel battles. Right there. It's Napoleonics. Uh see it down there? Um, yeah it is. Lower shelf says travel battles on it. Right there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Napoleonics. It folds up. It's all self contained. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Too. But I mean but it your rule set would be much more in-depth than that one would be. All right, so I'm going to throw something out there, and I'm going to probably be very unpopular, and honestly, I don't care. Um, I think the zombie thing is done. It's dead, no pun intended. They need... <laughs> See what you did there. They need to get... need to move on. Um, Jim, I, I don't know you follow Kickstarter that much, but there's a, now going to be another Kickstarter for Escape from Stalingrad or something like that. It's Stalingrad, but it's... Stalingrad Z? Yes. Which is that game right there, uh -huh. which is a French company. I have the, the original Z game. Uh, it's zombies in World War II and Stalingrad. 
you know. And that's then, unfortunate because we had one other announcement to make this weekend. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not. Valor and victory, Valor and victory, Stalingrad is now out for release. Yay! And, <laughs> all right, nice. You heard Speaking it here first, folks. So we'll talk about that um, in a minute, Jim. But uh, you know, worry. but. I mean, how many times can you do freaking zombies? I mean, The Walking Dead is done, over, gone. Thank God. Yeah, after the last few seasons. Yeah, they had like half of season 11 left. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's on its way out until the Rick Grimes movies come out. I don't they're think they'll do well. I don't think they're going to do well. I think the whole, it's the bubble of zombies has burst. Personally speaking. I mean. I, they, would, I would like to agree with you, but uh-huh. we've been saying the same thing about superhero movies for 10 years now. And now, and now look what Simon did. Simon <laughs> did a Kickstarter for Marvel Heroes Zombicide, uh-huh. where your Marvel heroes can become zombies. Which I think, I think we're jumping the shark on that one. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I'm just waiting for for Star Wars to get in there somehow. The Mandalorian zombie Marvel movies, all that. Oh God, it's, it's coming. Yeah, I probably just keep somebody an idea. Well, I mean, technically, aren't aren't all the dead Jedi's that come back as Force Ghost zombies anyway? Just saying. No. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really <laughs> All right, can we move on? I've had enough Please of zombie. Do. Jesus H. I would, I would, uh, to wrap up, I would actually kind of agree with you. Yeah. So the reason it keeps coming out in movies and video games and even tabletop games, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy and and it and across the genres, it's got some tactical modernish war game to it, and it's got some horror to it, and it it, it, it casts a wide net. Yeah. Is I think why it's around. So. Uh, what else do you have for us, Marty? Uh, for you? Uh, that's it for hobby stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for myself, uh, really, I'm just trying to reorganize and re-energize the graphics uh, presentation side. Also, guys, I don't know if you've been paying attention, and I'm talking to the team. We passed 700 subscribers. Yes. Absolutely. So, um, as of yesterday, we're at 704, 705. That, uh, uh, I think we're 706 this morning. Nice. I think it was the Rourke's, I think it was the Rourke's Drift episode that might have put us over the top. Nice. Or at least get us going again. We yeah. were 693 like four times. Yeah, right. Four or five <laughs> times. It was just like, oh, my God. We're going to get past 693 eventually. <laughs> we're, we're there. Um, oh, we're not. We're there. No, we're not. Damn it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Rourke's point. You know, um, so I'm very, very happy to everybody who's helped us get to 700 and still climbing. Thank you. Thank, uh, you. thank you very much. That's and right. please tell your friends, tell all your gaming buddies, get the word out. You know, the more the audience grows, the more we get new people because it starts getting in front of people, you know, obviously. So I, I'm setting the goal right now. By the end of 2022, we will hit 1,000 subscribers. Yeah, doable, I think. Yes. If you look at what our, you know, the... Yeah. The, the trend line on our growth has been over the past uh, couple of years. Yeah. So I, I think we can do it. I think we can. Um, it's going to take a little bit of work and some um, spiffing up the channel, like I said. So I'm working on graphic access assets. And if you've noticed, the new title slides that come along with our programming isn't just a logo, right? I'm actually doing picture graphics and texting, you know. So we're really spending, similar to what Jim does. I'm doing that for all our videos. So like our episode videos and everything like that. So, um, yeah, so we're working on it. So we'll go from there. All right. Um, 
I got a quick alibi. Go ahead. I, I do have one more thing. So again, uh, another find. Uh, this time a Walmart uh, clearance aisle find uh, for two dollars and sixty cents. Oh, I got a uh, two two little light bars that are uh, uh, LED lights. Uh huh. I don't know what I'm gonna use them for. They're USB powered. I'm like, this could totally be something. Oh, just if you know, it can just be mood lighting, if you will. Right, right. Atmospheric lighting. Yeah. Right next to it uh-huh. is a like four foot strip of LED lights uh-huh. that's uh, got the the little programmable remote. It's RGB. Uh-huh. Two dollars and sixty cents nice. on clearance. You know what you do with that is so think about it for yeah, your powered. for your epic battle thing. You put the lights behind your scenery. Right, and so if you do like the along the edge of the box, and then you build your building so it has a little bit of a gap between the wall and the scenery, uh-huh. and you light up. So you, now you have this, you know, it could be red, you know, yep. or whatever. So it adds a little bit of atmosphere. So I mean, those are the kind of things we need to start thinking about when we spiff up things. Because um, like right now, I'm working on part two of Rourke's Drift. I am hoping it will be out before this. Um, there's a lot of stuff I need to edit. I didn't think we had that much to edit, but it will be done. I'll have it done today, which will be the past when you get this video or audio. Um, it's like four hours of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's four yeah, hours I mean, of stuff. There's a lot to go through. Yeah. Um, I didn't think we had a lot of block shots and stuff, but there is some, it's going to take a little bit more editing than I thought it was, but no big deal. Um, I just got to get in the zone. Once I'm in the zone, I can edit through pretty quick. Um, so yeah, um, do you want to do the news first, or do you want to talk about Rourke's Drift first, and then we can segue into Jim's Ukraine stuff, and then we can talk about some other our main topic and some other things. You, Sitrep6, El Comandante Por Vida, ah. uh, dealer, dealer's choice. I'm ready whenever you All are, right. so, uh, so now, then, later, whatever. So, Chris, when I point to you, yeah. I want you to say Marty. Okay, Marty. Okay. When I point to you. Marty. Okay, you ready? No. Marty. Okay, here we go. It's news time with Gaz. Give me the latest and greatest news. Oh boy, oh boy, it's news time with Gaz. Come on, give it to me. Give me the news. Marty. (laughs) All right, so I cheaped out because I haven't had time to do your thing because I promised you I'd have it by the next show, but I didn't know we were going to do the next show in a week. So the production value just keeps going up and up on the show. <laughs> I think we're below 700 again. <laughs> yep. 693. Here we come. <laughs> All right. All right. Go for it. All right. So uh, kind of a short week uh, or, uh, you know, a short distance in between our, our shows here. So yep. uh, uh, a little light on the news, but we do have some news. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was Ultra Combat Modern Kickstarter update. Uh, their figures uh, have been taking forever to get out uh, yeah. due to production delays and worldwide this and yeah. da da da. Uh, they have all but the very last few shipped to their uh, backers. I haven't so, gotten mine yet. Uh, if you had a extremely large and or weird order, they're going out this week. Weird? You said weird? Uh, yeah. Well, it, so it, I shouldn't say I haven't gotten mine yet. I have to determine whether the ones that I was given to me three years ago now are mine or if those were just demo models because they handed me a box of ultra right. combat modern right miniatures before to, those are yeah. pre-production i samples so i don't know if they're considering those mine or if i'm going to get the the new sculpts so, so it'll be interesting to see so colin as of thursday had posted both in kickstarter and on the the facebook group yeah. for uh ultra modern 
Uh, there's a few packages left still go in the post. Uh-huh. These are the less straightforward orders, uh-huh. uh, but they go in the they'll go in the post as soon as possible. The rest are already on the way to you. Uh, and then uh, he, you know, reminded folks if you're outside the USA, because Fanlands Consortium here in the US yep. uh, made them. If you're outside the USA, it can take several weeks to get to you. But yeah. but a long time coming. Yeah. That they are they are on the way, people. So if you are one of those backers, uh, look in the post. It should be uh, coming to you if it has not yet arrived. There were some folks that were commenting on the Facebook page that they have indeed already received theirs. Uh, all folks in the U.S. Yeah. So and if you move. Yeah, if you have moved, you need to let them know. Oh, you know what? I can't remember. I uh, might have been at the old address. Well, then. I was going to yeah. say. Because <laughs> that's what happened to my Twilight 2000 Kickstarter. They sent it to the wrong address. Right. So yeah. I have to reach out. To, oh, you know what? I'm going to have to. Uh, mm. All right. Yeah. Can you drive on. Uh, so uh, some a little more local news, but uh, uh, Historical Miniature uh, Gaming Society Midwest, our local chapter here. Uh, yeah. Uh, Little Wars uh, uh, 2022 is coming up uh, April 21st through the 24th. Now that I have dates, I say we attend on Saturday. We live broadcast on Saturday, and we can do the podcast episode live from there. So we'll need to reach out to what's-his-name. Uh, yeah, we'll talk to Kevin. Okay. Uh, it's at the Sheridan Lyle Naperville Hotel. Registration is open right now. Uh, the daily badges are 35 bucks a day or $50 for the whole weekend. Yeah, if if purchased before April first, prices go up after April first. I think by five or ten dollars. I don't remember. Uh, the events uh, slash games have uh, uh, not been published yet. They're still uh, building the schedule of stuff. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But you go to uh, 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 tabletop events, conventions, Little Wars twenty twenty two. That's where you'll find all the information that's available. Or you can just go to the HMGS Midwest. Uh, yeah, Facebook and or webpage, and there's a link to it there. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, uh, local thing, if you will, although of a more substantial nature, if you will, Adepticon. Uh, so uh, the historical coordinator, Mike Rafferty, uh, Mike, we look forward to talking to you soon, buddy. I know we've been, we've been yeah. trying to pull the trigger on that. We are going to do that before Adepticon. So uh, we're going to try and see if we can just get Marty, maybe Marty and Chris, to just do a pre-recorded session with them, and I'll add it to the next podcast, just because of everything going on in the world. And so, yeah. So, uh, so Mike is the historical coordinator. Uh, this week, he put out a call for additional players to uh, register uh, for games. Um, the games are filling fast. I mean, they yeah. they are filling up, but. They've got some really epic battles, and by epic, I don't mean miniature. I mean super huge Uber games, and uh, you know, uh, they're looking. They were specifically looking for players that had had some experience because it's such a large battle that it's not really good for uh, a demo slash teaching game. Uh, and I think that might have scared off some folks. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, you know, we would like you to have any experience. How about that? <laughs> but uh, please, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and do that." Uh, you know, sign up. So, uh, if you're going to be at Adepticon, you're looking at uh, historicals. Uh, you know, don't be uh, scared to get into their Market Garden or one of their other, uh, you know, Flames of War or uh, Team Yankee. Uh, both of those, I think, have really big games. Right. Um, like 15 players, big games. So get in, get in on that stuff. Most definitely. Another sort of local piece of news, and I say that because uh, he's local to us, uh, Forrest, Knuckle Duck Duster Miniatures. Uh, 
He, uh, he posted this week, lots of new packs coming out over the next couple of months. They just finished the production mold for Mounted Texas Rangers. So those will be released in the next week or two. Uh, in, uh, in March, those will be released. Uh, the Mounted uh, Starter Faction. And then uh, he said he's going to wade through the packs that don't have mounted versions yet and filling those out. Yeah. And uh, in the mix somewhere, uh, he's been working on uh, Hollywood Calvary. So Hollywood being... Uh, John Wayne is? Uh, yeah, the, the st- literally the style of Hollywood, not necessarily true historical style. Uh-huh. Uh, so he does uh, many of his miniatures that way. And he tells you, you know, yeah. that's what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, uh, and they're great looking stuff. So... Uh, and he said those are going to be released uh, sometime in the near future. And he's also sent the Masters for three new terrain accessory packs to the Resin Caster. So nice. there's an office set, uh, cabin furniture, um, and what else is there? Adobe Jail and Boarding House. Nice. And accessories for the but Smithy. It, it doesn't have it doesn't have that lookout tower that we're talking about Hollywood Calvary. That lookout tower that F Troop used to shoot down with their Reveille cannon <laughs> every single episode. Uh, uh, I you, want, I want an F troop force. It, I've always wanted an F troop. That would be cool. You, you know, it doesn't say, Jim. <laughs> we'll have to uh, reach out to Forrest. But Forrest is um, like an hour and a half down the road from yeah, uh, from us, yeah. from us uh, here in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. He's down in. Uh, I'm just happy area. that joke landed, and at least somebody got that. <laughs> That's a deep cut, man. That's going way back. Oh, oh no, I'm with you. Hey, can we do a real quick pause and go back to Ultra Combat Modern for a minute? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um. So in that update with the shipping, they said that they could not produce the heavy weapons for the Russians. Mm. Um. Right. The sculpt. Yeah. So my answer to that is, if you already have the digital sculpt, why not release it as an STL file? Ooh, yeah. True. Because I can print them on the resin printer. True that. Uh. Yeah. Because they are replacing that with a uh, with an infantry pack. Yeah. So which I the... mean, I already have the infantry. I'd like to have the heavy. Did I get the heavy weapons? I don't, I don't think I did. Um, but if you release as an STL file, and no, you, they didn't have the they didn't have them yet back then. Right, they weren't sculpted yet. Yeah. So I mean, if they're already sculpted digitally, and you just haven't been able to produce the molds and everything because of the cost, which is yeah. fine. So why not give? I Colin, buddy. Colin, <laughs> dude, <laughs> Sitrep Enterprises, quote unquote, would be happy to license the STL files and produce the resin minis for sale or to backers. That's right. We call dibs, Chris Long. You can't have them. <laughs> so you, you and you and Alex have, have, have to sit this one out. <laughs> right. So seriously, I mean, we have the nice uh, resin printers. We we do. Um, You know, I'd be very happy to, um, you know. And you've got that one that you can print like a car one-to-one <laughs> on because it's ginormous. You print out pool tables and so, shit on it. All right. So, I mean, we printed a whole bunch of Zulus and Brits. So, you know. Right. Uh, as long as we have a good uh, digital sculpt, we can print some really nice minis. All right, so continue on. Sorry. All right, so the the final bit, um, you know, not I don't yeah. know, I don't know. If it's really a huge news piece, but it was something that caught my eye, and it's very timely. Except uh, the show will go out afterwards, so it probably isn't as timely as we think. <laughs> uh, uh, Plastic Soldier uh, Company is having their Valentine's Day sale. Oh. So uh, while the folks listening to this probably aren't going to be able to take advantage of it because it ends uh, let's... <laughs> Sunday, uh, February 13th at the... Uh... Oh, yeah. We're going to tell them this now. Yeah. So what was in that so, sale? The, 
it's just a whole shotgun blast of, of stuff that uh, they've got. If you go to the Plastic Soldier Company UK, you can, they've got a sale page up like all the time. Yeah. But uh, they've got a ton of stuff on there right now. Uh, five battle group expansions. What? North Hag rules. What? Uh, hard plastic kits for both 15 mil and uh, 1 to 72. Um, ultra, 15 millimeter ultra cast agents. Uh, agents. Ancients. Uh, medieval kits, 10 millimeter ultra cast Cold War kits, 20 mil ultra cast World War II kits. Um, some board games are in there. Let's see. Uh, uh, and as it says, stocks are limited. Uh, some are also uh, some items are also limited to the UK, uh, depending on what it is. Uh, so. Mm. You know, I'm well. I imagine that's just a, a shipping restriction kind sure. of thing. You know, but uh, yeah, it's a great sale. It's a shame you all missed it. <laughs> <laughs> wait, uh, wait, so, no. so, sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, uh, when I went and checked it, I was like, "Oh, they're not, they're not kidding." There's a ton of stuff up here. Yeah, you know. So if you were looking to pick up a copy of Northag, just the, the rule book, for instance, uh, it's uh, fifteen pounds instead of twenty pounds. So 25, so 20 20, bucks. 20, 25% off. Yeah, 20 bucks US. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And uh, that's all I have. Like that's I it said, for the news, huh? Yeah, a little light, like I said, short, uh, shortened week here. So uh, you know, not, not as much news uh, to be had. Well, okay. Slytherin has a little bit of news that we've sort of done a drive-by on. Oh, yeah, go oh. for it. So super fast. Um, we've been talking about it for the most of 2021. We've been kind of <laughs> dancing around it because we didn't know when it was cool to announce it or when it wasn't or when it was going to come out. But um, Valor and Victory Stalingrad is finally out. And uh, over on the Slytherin website, I'm looking at it right now. This is for Valor and Victory. They've expanded it now to the Eastern Front. This is the video game release. So we've had episodes where we tried the Western Front, which was pretty cool. Uh, Valor and Victory, of course, is one of my favorite uh, physical board games in the uh, World War II infantry gaming space. Uh, they've had a video game release it was only for the Western Front. It didn't quite have all the rules as far as artillery, snipers, things like that. Now they've expanded it to the Eastern Front, and they've brought in all those other rules that weren't really included in the initial release. So it includes all those other assets. And it was supposed to be Eastern Front with a DLC designed by yours truly, or at least the scenarios were designed by me. I didn't you know, code the game or anything right. like that, but I did all the research, I did all the design, I drew all the maps, I drew the, uh, the units, or, or, or the orders of battle, I should say. The counters aren't mine, but the orders of battle, the, the beginning forces that you start within that campaign um, are all mine. And it's, it's you know, drawn, obviously, from history because I'm risking it. Yep. And, uh, it, seems like the DL, it seems like the DLC is out, the way they're, they're advertising it on, on, on uh, Slytherin, the DLC is out, and it comes with the expansion as opposed to the reverse. So the original game was $20. Uh, it's now down on Slytherin 30% to $13.99. Yeah, and for $9.99, you can expand that to the Western, I'm sorry, to the Eastern Front, and you get a pretty, just saying, kind of a badass uh, um, a scenario pack with that because uh, we, we know the designer. If I do say so myself, yes. <laughs> No, it uh, looks great. I'm warning, on the page, so it looks really good. You know, a word of word of warning: those scenarios are kind of brutal because it's Stalingrad. It's number one. It's Eastern Front. Eastern Front is always, you know, Western Front squared, 
And uh, especially when it comes to infantry, not so much, you know, tanks and, and other arms of service, but when it comes to infantry, Stalingrad is Eastern Front Square. So there's really never really been uh, another battle like it. Well, yeah, it was, um, it there was have been battles the that, Yeah, there have been battles that we've been in uh, as Americans in our history that have probably been as ferocious, but never as big and ferocious at the same time. We've had battles that are as big. We've had battles that are ferocious. Never really one that was both. Um, it just hasn't happened. And Stalingrad is just insane uh, as far as um, the ferocity of uh, the different engagements. So we, I wanted to bake that into the scenarios. So that's available over on, uh, on Slithering.com. Check it out. Um, I hope you like it. Uh, the maps have... Uh, yeah, I, I recognize the maps. Like I said, I designed them. Um, <laughs> of course, they, they kind of got redesigned in order to kind of fit into their code and, and fit on their platform. But I definitely, yeah, they're all they're all pretty much. Uh, I'm scrolling through them now. Yeah, there's the there's the train factory, the the uh, yeah, train station. That that's a nasty one. Thirteenth um, Guards Rifle Division went from thirteen thousand five hundred combat effectives to about five hundred combat effectives in twenty four hours on that one. So, yeah, take a guess what that scenario is like. Yeah. Uh, we got the grain elevator, Drzezinski Tractor Factory, site of probably history's only indoor tank battle. Um, slight exaggeration there, but it, it kind of gets the point across. Right. It's a really big building. Um, yeah, so check it out. Uh, I hope you guys like it. Yeah, I'm um, actually bouncing around between Slytherin and Matrix Games um, forums, and um, people seem to be very excited about this. Uh, add on pack here. And you talk about the uh, uh, Stalingrad, you know, being uh, uh, the Eastern Front Squared. So, you know, it, it's not, uh, you know, uh, ferocity uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the size of the battle added together. It's multiplied together. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a really, like I said, it's a meat grinder. That's a really tough place to to do battle. I mean, uh, they already on have both a, sides. Yeah, they already have a tournament announced for Stalingrad. Woo! So they're doing Pavlov's oh, house. They're um, full, full in. The Verdiachi Bridgehead. And the yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Bridgehead is uh, the first scenario. Again, the battle up to at, at, at its height involved like 1.2 million people, um, and went on for at least seven months. Starts in August, ends in February. If you go from end to end. So obviously, Valorant Victory as a squad-based system is never going to do all of uh, Stalingrad, not even close. So what we did instead was, you know, I, I took the, the history of Stalingrad and sort of picked out like 12 fun, I not say fun, but interesting moments, iconic moments. So the first one is for Yachi Bridgehead. That's the, the Germans advancing towards Stalingrad. Yeah. I picked that one because it uh, includes a uh, Soviet anti-aircraft battery that was the only anti-tank guns they had. Um, they were all run by women. So there was a nearby girls' college uh, or a girls' secondary school or whatever, and they literally just drafted them earlier that morning. They gave them 30 minutes of training on these 37-millimeter anti-aircraft anti guns. Wow. And they said, here comes some German tanks. Go for it. So that's interesting. If you want to play, you know, <laughs> college-age girls shooting at German tanks, I mean, hey, I'm sure that does it for somebody. Yeah. Uh, the German assault begins. That's literally the invasion of Stalingrad. The railway station, again, we talked about the 13th Guards rifle. That division pretty much was like a piece of wood fed into a meat grinder, but it was a very important, not meat grinder, like a wood chipper, very important wood chipper. 
grain elevator. Yeah, I, I won't go through all of them, but uh, yeah. Um, these are all moments of the Battle of Stalingrad that if you're familiar with the Battle of Stalingrad, you're, you're, you're going to learn a lot about it. Um, you're you're going to recognize these names, and if you're not familiar with it, you're going to learn a lot about it. These are kind of the highlights. Yeah, the seminal Again, battles. Squad based, yeah, squad-based system, it's not going to do all of Stalingrad. Uh, it kind of wraps up with uh, Uranus, Shukov Strikes. That's the big Soviet tank offensive, that uh, tank and mechanized infantry offensive that cuts through the two flanks of German 6th and part of 4th Panzer Army, closes behind him and seals him in that big, uh, that big pocket, that big cauldron. So not all the battles are urban meat grinders. Um, Gergashi Bridgehead is out in open field. Uranus is out in open field. Winter Storm is out in open field. Really, uh, Mamayev Kurgan is like the big famous hill where that really famous statue was built now. Um, that was the high, high ground. That was sort of commanded central Stalingrad. There weren't really that many buildings up there. I think there was a radio tower, a radio building, and like a water tower or stuff like that. But there was no like major buildings up there at the time. So not all the maps are just, you know, oh my God, buildings followed by more buildings followed by more buildings. Mm-hmm. Urban and street battles and house-to-house fighting can get very rough in Valorant Victory. Uh, for fans who may be uh, familiar with Valorant Victory, we did make some changes to kind of grease the wheels a little bit. All the buildings are considered plus two terrain impediments, now plus three. The narrative reason is all these buildings have been bombed to hell and gone. The German Air Force bombed Stalingrad like the first day of the battle. I think it was 24 August 1942. Killed more people in that one day all of the United Kingdom in all of the Blitz. Um, like, literally, the first day uh, England was bombed until the end of the war. That includes the V-2 rockets. We had up all those people in all of the United Kingdom and all the cities that were ever bombed by the German Air Force ever in World War II. You come up with a death toll that falls short of what the Germans killed in Stalingrad on a single day. So, Damn. what that means in the game is that all the buildings are pretty much tanked. Um, now that's the narrative reason. The real reason is, again, plus three terrain bonfire. The game just grinds into an absolute slaughter, and there's, like, no tactics at all. Making a slight, tweet, a slight tweak to the rules there, plus two to, for building modifications, the whole game just starts to move around a little bit more. It still gives you that Stalingrad feel, but doesn't, you know, uh, sort of bog down into that. The entire battle is taking place in one town hex kind of thing you see in, uh, in classic modern victory. Anyway, I'll shut up about it, guys. Uh, <laughs> head over to uh, I spent I spent like literally most of 2021 on this. Um, so it looks good. It looks really good. So you up, designed the maps, right? And I designed the maps, the units. I did the historical research. I designed all the scenarios. So and they did the together. programming, right? I did. I did all the play testing. Yeah. I sent all the results. Put it all. Yeah, all got sent to Lance, my huge friend Lance over in Yuma War Games. Lance, if you're ever listening to this, he's on our Discord. If you ever want to talk to him. Um, thanks very much uh, for all your help on this. A uh, huge shout out to Lance and making sure that we got credit, making sure that we're in sort of you know the, the credits. So Sit Rep Podcast, the name is attached to this. Very nice. We're now in we're now in the video game business. We're famous. Uh, we're, there you go. We're famous, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Except not really. Um, so but, Jim, yeah. is there another DLC war battle thing you might be working on for Valorant? Yeah. For Valorant Victory, uh, not at the moment, no. My knowledge. <laughs> um, I am I getting assigned something or? <laughs> <laughs> well, we just figured, you know, if that was something going on, we should get the scoop. It should be exclusive here. 
Um, yeah. So uh, nothing yet. Like literally this this dropped like last week. Yeah. I think it was. Um, I thought it was going to be the twenty second. Apparently, I was. I just didn't remember right. I thought it was a little bit earlier. Uh, no, it looks like February third. Holy crap! I was way off. Um, so I'm not sure how I got the, how I got that messed up, but anyway, I was on break. Um, we were on a break. (laughs) So yeah, check it out guys. Um, hopefully, uh, like it and, uh, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, guys, if you have not tried Valor Victory PC game, uh, it's available on Steam and direct download from Slytherin. Um, and you can pick up the Stalingrad DLC pack. With the Sit Rep Podcast flavor. Uh-huh. All right. Big, Good work, Jim. Big Jim Arisky yeah. knocking it out of the park. So uh, we definitely have to shout out that one over on the Beast of World site. Just, you know, just we got so. We got so. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bang that drum. Um, I, I'm, I'm extremely proud that our name, I mean, you did all the work. Well, I, I'm just riding the train, you know. Jim's doing oh, all yeah. the work. But uh, I'm very proud that. That, you know, in all right. fairness, in all in all fairness, and in full transparency, Lance air quotes discovered me or found me. How watching our Vol River crossing, eighty second Airborne at uh, uh, Nine Megan. Yes, <laughs> that game we did way back yeah. when. Yeah, that that's how that's how he that's how he discovered us. I'm so proud. There you go. There you go. I'm so proud. <sighs> Good. Awesome. All right, guys. Make sure you pick that up. All right. Transitioning into Orcs Drift. Yeah. So, um, because this will come out after the video, and so people will know the... How'd that go, guys? Uh, It was fairly historically accurate. Let's it was. that way. As, as far as numbers. As far yeah. as casualties. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it mirrored... However, gameplay. Let's talk about gameplay. Yeah, we ran into some issues there. I mean, the rule set that we were using is not meant for ma- mass battles. No. And we had 4,000 dudes, so yeah. it's a mass battle. Yeah. So uh, we learned a few things, and one of them is um, the 10 figures to a base complicated issues. Yep. yep. Um, my brother, Chris, um, suggested that we just stay with five to a base for Zulus, and I thought that worked well, I actually went back after you guys were all gone uh, a couple days later and actually tried the three 15, you know, three bases of five. And the pinning system, instead of being pinned and not passing, you just get that, you know, added on to your roll. And so, um, so let's say you accumulated three pins, right? That changed your command ratio. So based on your dice roll. Right. So, it, you know, it's, it, ne- it didn't necessarily prevent you from doing anything. It just made things made bogged harder. down like yeah. it would if you Which. were under that much stress. So I think because looking back at it, I do think at some point you guys were under a huge disadvantage because of the way that whole I mean, impy, and we're talking the one it, the one with the white and black shield. The, yeah, the thousand Yeah, dudes. the one that hit, what do we have, like 20 bases? And I'm not talking minis. I'm just talking yeah. bases between right. tens and fives. The whole MP stops, right? Because of one pin. Yep. Yep. Okay. Whereas if and we then if you don't hit your rally, you've got a thousand people backing up. Right. So, you know, it should have been divided into those like three groups of five. And uh that group would have stopped or, you know, and then that doesn't prevent the other ones from the tidal wave effect, right? Right. You know, they just bypass and keep going. Um, I thought that would have 
made things a little bit more stressful for the British, obviously. Right. Um, yeah, because it was very difficult for us to get up to the wall. Yeah. And, you know, we only made it over the wall once. Once. Yeah. And, you know, in past games, we've had to collapse. I asked the British, collapse into the around the redoubt. And in the final battle in Ireland, we were, that was the only unit I had left was, uh, I think it was Shard or Bromhead. I can't remember which one was in there, but um, I think it was Bromhead because I was Shard and I got killed. But um, that was it. That's all we had. We we still held out. I mean, but technically, uh, we probably should have played the uh, the Zulus a little more uh, aggressively. The problem is we're trying to avoid the pin yeah. because then we couldn't do anything. Right. You know, uh, and that, that – that affected how we played later in the game. Yeah. So so it was really hard to just throw those waves of dudes up to the wall right. and then see if you could make it over or, you know, cause cause damage. Because, like, I didn't – so uh, your guys that were up against the wall, it was three hits to kill one of them. Right. I don't have any beef with that. That That's cool. The yeah. problem is I couldn't get the wall to start rolling dice to see if I could do that. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, that part, you know, and, of course, I'm skewed because I was the British realistically made sense because at that point you're in spears and bayonets and whatever. Sure. You know, and you have that big melee bag uh, wall there. I mean, so yeah, I can understand that because of that. But to your point, you should have been able to tidal wave slam into that wall. You know, so we had in, because we had so many big bases, it prevented the numbers matching yep. correctly. Um, another big issue I had with the rule set, whether it was from the Zulu side or the British side was one action per turn. Per yeah, especially yeah. when a turn's supposed to be an hour right. time. So, yeah. and there's no reactionary fire by the British. And Jim, jump in at any time with your, uh, you know, your input. Um, but I found it very frustrating that here in open ground we see an MP running at us, and I can't do anything because it's not my turn, right? Yeah. So. Uh, it's, Rogue's Drift is, and is by no means unique in this regard. Uh, but the battle itself, especially from the British side is nothing but one gigantic opportunity fire phase. Yeah. yeah right. They're literally lined up and running at you across an open field. It's like Pickett's Charge. It's like, I mean, if you can't shoot while the enemy's moving, why are you even doing it? Exactly. Um, at, the other, at the other end of the table, uh, once the closest to melee range, I mean, one bayonet is worth one spear. In fact, it may be even worth less because... I mean, the bayonet might be a little longer on the end of that rifle, but the Zulu guy also has a shield. The British soldier doesn't. Um, he and does. even then, it's going to be the melee bags. And melee not bags once you're are... inside the not not once you're inside the perimeter. No, no, this was up to the up to the wall. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jim, I couldn't um, get inside the perimeter. <laughs> That's the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got to... So yeah, just uh, usually, I mean, like whether you're playing. Like Zulus versus, that's probably an extreme example, Zulus versus British. But, you know, Soviet tanks versus German tanks, World War II, Syrians versus Israelis in, in the Arab Israeli Wars, you got to get close. Yeah. Because yeah. the closer you get, the more your numbers should matter. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, conversely, the British, again, this goes to your point, uh, Bill, literally have to keep the battle as long range as possible. You can't do that without opportunity fire. And uh, one of the big reasons that we sat down, my friend Alex and I, who has recently rejoined the community, welcome back, Alex, is that we, we ripped apart the Panzerblitz system going all the way back to put, somebody put money in the pot, risking we brought up Panzerblitz. 
Um, <laughs> you can't play a game where the two sides have different scales or are different unit scales. Like, yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. one side's a platoon, one side's a company. One side's one man per stand, one side is ten uh, men per stand. Yeah, I know that why people want to do that in some cases, in some games. Workship would be a great example. It's always a recipe for disaster. And we found um, that yeah. out. Yes, yeah. and uh, yeah. we we had that same because issue. Because we had the British were one-to-one, one, uh, yep. miniature per guy, and then the Zulus was one-to-ten, right? So Yeah, once I saw that in the video, I, I gave a win to my computer <laughs> chair. I've, I've been in more games where that's kind of been the case. Yeah, and it created yeah, a bookkeeping so, nightmare. I mean, it really I'm did. Not saying yeah. it's, I'm not saying it's impossible, uh-huh. but the war game design really has to watch out for that. It's yeah. a huge... If you guys are buying a game and you see that kind of thing, that's why the first question I always ask is, what's what scale is the game? Oh, it's 50 millimeter. It's 28 millimeter. No, rocket science. What scale, command scale is the game? Is this a platoon? Is this a company? Is this a single figure? Oh, uh, it's kind of a warband system. Uh, it's kind of up to you. I'm like, okay, never mind. On, 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 on to the next IP or whatever. I don't, you, you've, you've lost me. Yeah. If the game can't make up its mind, how many men are on a base? That's a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was our decision to do that scale. It wasn't in the rules because the rules we're using, the men who would be kings, is a skirmish uh, rule yeah. set, not a mass battles rule set. Okay. And, well, then and you have to have like like 4,000 zoos. Right. right. And, and we were trying to conserve. Uh, the number of figures because we're not printing four thousand Zulus, <laughs> gotcha. at least at twenty eight mil. And as as it turns out, we next, couldn't even get our four hundred all the completed. Ne- yeah, and uh, you know, next time, uh, you know, yeah, I'll individually base them. Uh, so I got a bunch of guys. I'm still working a on lot. You guys got a lot done in a shockingly small amount of time. Ariskimi was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised. We wait, got the Ariskany seal of approval? Wait, wait a minute. What do you mean surprise, you got the sir? Of surprise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you guys were but, talking about, well, we're going to do Rourke Strift on, you know, like December 16th. December 16th, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, it was like December 16th. I'm like, you guys know you really have three effective weeks <laughs> to paint how many figures and build a table. And I'm like, um, yeah. I hope, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I wish you the best, but at the same time, I don't know. But you, you guys did it. And we, so, and yeah, we literally well, spent. Three weeks, like all our own time <laughs> doing it. He even made me paint. Yeah, right? it took me three weeks just to build the the the, uh, the buildings and transit. Never mind the armies. I already had the armies mostly. Well, I, I but, uh, to, to set yeah. up that kind of table takes a lot of work. It, I mean, it was it was nice that we all knew what we had in our vision, and I'll be honest with you. You know, some of it's done on the fly, and um, thinking outside the box is huge, right? Because that table that we built, it's basically pink foam, you know, insulation foam with canvas for the ground cover, you know, the terrain. Right. And then, uh, you know, and then movie magic painting is the terrain. So all the ridges and, you know, valleys and the roadway is all done with spray paint. It's, you know, and obviously molded foam underneath, but. It, you know, it's the same thing that we would do with our, uh, any other miniature terrain, essentially. Yeah. It's just, we did it on a table. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was very happy with how it came turned out. Now, I mean, I've seen some people send me some pictures of some other tables that look amazing, like this diorama. I was somebody say ours is not the diorama. Right. I mean, but it's playable. Yes. Because think about it this way, and this is something for everybody out there to think about when you're building a table to play a war game on. It could be amazingly beautiful, like the uh, demo table I'm looking at right now from Black Sight Studios that we got from Adepticon. Yes. It's beautiful, 
but the terrain slopes a lot. He has a lot of, you know, uneven spaces. So when you're trying to move minis, a lot of times the minis fall over because there isn't space or level places to put them. But it looks gorgeous, right? It is gorgeous. But yes. for playability-wise, the table we built was playable. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's and it's playable. The, uh, the rules. I did a 20-millimeter. I, I apologize. I did a 20-millimeter uh, Battle of Ariskany one time, which takes place in dense woods. Mm-hmm. And the table looked great. I had like 400 trees on the table. Oh. Um, and then every time you went to move a unit, you knocked over three trees. And of course, <laughs> once one tree falls, it hits two other trees. Right. It's yep. like a domino effect. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, sometimes a table can be too pretty or too realistic. Yeah. Uh, because it starts to screw up the actual game itself. Yeah. So, yeah, we're uh, rather proud of it. And like I said, we definitely have some rule tweaking to do. Honestly, I say we start from scratch. Yeah, well, yeah. Take I mean, what is Sit Rep Podcast take, famous for? Yeah, well, take the lessons learned, right? You know, and figure out. Okay, we there we know we definitely know what we don't want to do right. in the future. We right. learned those lessons, so now we got to figure out. You know, so we just write our own set of rules, mm-hmm. right? Not saying we have to start from scratch. We can right. take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and change it up a little bit. Because what's right. our next it's project for next year? This land Wanda in like six mil because that's a lot of people. Uh, it's fifteen hundred Brits. Uh, although, are we doing all of them? Yeah, six mil. It's just little strips. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, you know what else next year is? What thirtieth anniversary of? I knocked out. Wait for it. Oh, no. <laughs> Gothic Serpent. Is it uh, really 30 years? It, yeah, that was 93. Oh, holy shit. Right? Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. That might be a good one to throw Jim, in. Jim, it's time to bring it back to the table, my friend. We played that. I've never done that. It was, totally bring sit, it back. was that sit rep skirmish we did that in or Valor and Victory? Uh, we did it in Valor yeah. and Victory, modern expansion. Yeah. We played Mogadishu. Yeah. Are you saying you want to do it on miniature too? Yeah. Oh, shit. I got to build helicopters. Yeah, well, and... Is it, I mean, I already have the Delta guys. Well, and it's uh, either Plexite or Sarissa. I, I, Sarissa ha- has the hotel. I was going to yeah. say, a train piece. Your, absolute, your absolute biggest challenge on that is going to be the actual city itself. Yeah. I mean, do you really do that in 28 mil, though? No. Okay. Not if you want to do it's not the just sites. Like, it's, well, not like, it's not like a village on the corner of the map. You have to build the whole city. Not the whole city, but the entire city it, yeah. has to be yeah. dense, dense urban All right. downtown. Do it 15 mil? Before we start jumping on that one, let's get through Midway. Okay. Can we yeah, get the midway first? Yeah, I'm just saying. You know, especially especially if we are going to do that and we're going to build a table for it, that's one that we should probably not wait and give ourselves three weeks to do. <laughs> yeah, you want to start now because I'm not going to be – I know we're really getting ahead of ourselves because we're talking about literally October of next year. I think Octopic Server was October 3rd. October 6th of next year also is the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur. Oh, the biggest Arabish really uh, war that ever took place. Uh, I'm going to be busy as yeah. right? if I'm if I'm still alive. I'm going to be very busy uh, <laughs> with that. That is a non-movable. Um, I don't want to say commitment, but that is that is a huge thing. Right, Arabish right. really wars. Our very first Ops Center series was Arabish really wars. Um, those were probably outside of the Gulf War, which we've pretty much done to death. Gulf War and Vietnam. Those are probably your two biggest modern wars. That have taken place in the post war, at least as far as you know, right? Uh, audience appeal. 
Yom Kippur by far and away was not only the biggest, it's also the most interesting. And uh, it's the, yeah, I won't get into it, but there's going to be a lot going on October right. of 2020. Yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, we have so, a way to get, to get through first, for sure. Yeah, we definitely got to do that. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, but we have a year and a half, theoretically speaking. But uh, just throwing it out there. We might do that. What do you think? 15 mil for the size of the table we need to do? 10 mil? Yes. <laughs> I know. I, I'm thinking about it. But it, I, I well, really need to stay focused on um, Midway. So. Right, right. I'm just thinking that, uh, you know. But that would be a big project. I mean, to do a table. And I have files, and I have friends that do some nice terrain. So yeah, well, we that, could do Moog. Well, that and you know, uh, you know, Jim has a great tutorial on how to make buildings, right? You know, uh, you know, we decide the scale. You know, doors and windows make them look right, <laughs> and then we I just start yeah piling up buildings. Because we're gonna have to do two different crash sites, plus the hotel. The Olympic Hotel. For sure. Yep. And then do you do the Mogadishu Mile, you know, to the stadium? So there's all things. We're going to, I guess we're going to have to do a planning session and decide right. what it is we want to do. Obviously, we have to get to the crash sites. I mean, that's right. you know, by and far the biggest part of that whole battle. Well, you know. Again, this kind of segues into what we're going to be talking about with Midway is how many, uh, what rank are you playing at? Because I'll say it that way instead of what scale you're playing at. Because I don't want to get confused with you know, 10 mil, 6 mil, 15 mil. Like, what what, what rank, what level are you playing at? Right. Because so if you're playing at the command level where you're sending in the helicopters, you're going to extract the high-value target, there might not be a crash site. Or there might be three. Or there might be ten. Or there might be zero. Mm-hmm. Now, are you saying you're the do enemy it a more gets ep- a vote? Or are we going to do this more episodic? And again, I just keep segueing in, into Midway. I know Bill's trying to get us back on topic, but we're going to go over this again in about five minutes. <laughs> where it's, no, I'm serious. Where it's like, okay, you can't do, because uh, spoiler alert, I don't care what scale you're playing at, it mm-hmm. almost doesn't matter. You can't put all of Mogadishu on the table. Yeah, no. Or no. Even, the parts of, even, the, even the parts of Mogadishu that are in the actual battle. You can't do it. Because... It's a sliding scale, and no matter which way you go, you're kind of screwed. Well, let's do it in 28 millimeter. Well, the problem is your buildings are huge. And right. You're going to be spending all day building tables. That's fine. That's fine. We're going to shrink it down to 10 mil. Congratulations. You just quadrupled the number of buildings you have to build. They're smaller, but you have five to eight times as many of them. Right. Yep. So pick your poison. Either way, you're, you're doomed. Um, so you have to either pick a couple things. Number one, you're going to have some sort of a modular system where certain key events are played out, where you're going to do it episodic. It's like, look, we're going to assume that all the high-level stuff that happened happened, and we're going to replay certain episodes, or for lack of a better word, scenes of the battle. We're yeah. going to do the initial hit on the hotel. Like okay, see how that see how that scenario goes. Almost like we did with uh, Benghazi. With, with Benghazi. Yes. And we're like, okay, yep. now stage two happened. Whether or not stage two happens or not isn't on the table. Right. But we assume that it did. Can we, you know, maybe influence the start conditions, but it's going to happen. And that's going to be, you know, either the, the attack on the embassy or the ride back. So in Mogadishu, it would be, all right, here's the attack on the hotel. Both sides can win. Both sides can lose. Congratulations. 
but no matter what, the next game is going to be the helicopter crash. Yep. Whereas if you're doing all of Mogadishu, that helicopter crash might never happen. Right. Or, or it might be 10 times worse, or it might you know, be somewhere else. Maybe he lands in the ocean. Maybe he lands in friendly territory. Maybe it's multiple he helicopters. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it sounds like we're going to do a hybrid of our Benghazi um, battle, where we do it in Valor and Victory or set rep skirmish. You know, and like the transit game, you know, we can sim- we can play that, you know, like helicopter or what was it? Uh, Gunfighter 66 went down. Super 66. Super 66 went down. And uh, we do the transit game like we did, you know, to get from the Olympic to the crash site and the, the Somalis and prevent us from getting there, right? Um, and then fight out the actual, just that crash site on a tabletop, right? Right, right. And then, so we, we intermix, just like we did with Benghazi. So we start at the hotel. We can build the hotel. So it's just the hotel. The uh, Blackhawks come in, Rangers drop in the corners, and then the OH-6s land on the rooftop. The Delta gets off and tries to hit the high-value targets. And then you transit to the SITREP Skirmisher Valor Victory transit game version. Because now, you know, turn whatever, Super 6-6 goes down, we needed to get there, right? Right. So, and then once, if we make it before they're overrun, um, then we put that on the table. And it's just the crash site and just the little surrounding terrain. That's it. Yeah. And, we, and you fight that out. And does SAR get there? You know, the, the Air it, Force Pararescue guys get there and try and cut them out or whatever do, happens. Yeah, do you get there in time to... Uh, uh, save Michael Durant from being captured. Yeah. So, does that sound more plausible, Jim? Honestly, it's I I don't want to be glib about it, but again, been there, done that. We've literally already done this. So, Valor yeah. and Victory would totally work. Yeah. Valor and Victory had helicopter crashes. It has rules for whether or not the crew survives. It has rules for um, casualty evacuation, casualties being imprisoned, uh, being taken prisoner. Um. Even we've had even little birds be shot down. I mean, if, if, if you can name it in, in Mogadishu, it's happened. Yeah, I've run right. it several times. Yeah. So yeah, now we could totally use Valorant Victory to. I, I would suggest Valorant Victory over Sitrep Skirmish. Okay. Because it's just a, a numbers game. Yeah. Valorant Victory is four man fire teams, eight man squads, and you had like a ranger company. Yeah. And yeah. Quite a few Delta Force. It would be a really huge game in Sidrep. It's uh, in skirmish. It's it's a skirmish game. It's one to one. Sure. You would have like, you know, dozens, if not, you know, several dozens. Yep. Um, the friendlies, and that means hundreds of of, uh, of militia. It gets, right. it gets crazy. I was gonna say it almost turns into a mass battle game when you look at the numbers of militia. Yeah, and uh, even even in even in a Valor and Victory, which again is four man pieces or eight man pieces. Um, that game took four hours. So even there, it was pretty big. And the nice um, thing is we already have the assets built for the Valor Victory game. Totally. Yeah, I just have to draw a new map. Even the, new, the map, I have all the buildings. Yeah. I just literally slap them together in a different way yeah, right. uh, to make a new map. Um, although the Olympic Hotel is already drawn on the map. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that, that part's easy. Right, um, cool. But then, yeah, and then w- once we get the, the Valor and Victory game, maybe it's halfway through turn four or something, to the crash site or one of the crash sites, we stop and then 
okay, guys, we'll continue next week, and then you guys go out with, uh, with the miniature game. Let me know the results of that. Who's left? How many? Which direction are they going? And I'll use that to build the start conditions for the uh, either Mogadishu Mile game or whatever you want to call it. You know, basically getting right. back to the stadium. Right. So, awesome. Okay. Let's transition. Um, do we talk midway or do we talk about our topic? Um, As you wish. Let's talk about our topic. Um, so, in War Games Soldiers and Strategy, is that what it's called? Something like that? WSS? Yeah. Oh, the magazine. Yes. Yeah, the magazine. Yeah. Uh, on their Facebook page, they posted a little video about what war era battle would you not war game and why? So, um, mm. I know, right? I, I think we talked about this a little bit last, last time. How's that? World War One. you know, the trench warfare being yeah. kind of like, eh. Well, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I think it's a personal opinion. Um, cause there are world war. I mean, battlefront has world war one. You know, yeah, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, no, I mine. get you. So, well, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say World War One. What I would say is that trench warfare can be kind of boring to game, but there's more to it right. than just trench warfare. So, I wouldn't say World War One blanket. Uh, I probably would not be real interested in, you know, playing a trench warfare game. But you know, there's also naval and aerial combat. Right. Because isn't Jutland in World War One, Jim? Um, in 2018, for the 100th anniversary, we did a four or five part video series um, over on on tabletop, talking about like the five hacks for doing World War One, or even trench warfare, five secrets of trench warfare. Um, because yeah, World War One and trench warfare specifically does have, to Marty's point, some pitfalls that you have to look out for, and it's, it's almost not like oh, this is too gruesome, this is too horrible. Uh, it's not. I mean, compared to, we were talking about Stalingrad earlier. Um, I mean, it was terrible, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as uh, some other parts of warfare that people have no problem with. It's just, depending on how you approach it, friggin' boring. Um, <laughs> right? It, it, yeah. So, yeah, and it, again, I won't go through all five points, but number one, um, yeah, you don't have to, just, like, this, again, this uh, also uh, to the rest of the team's point. World War One and trench warfare are not synonymous. You can do World War One and stay out of the trenches. There were huge fronts that never saw trenches. The Eastern Front was big. The Southern Front, uh, the Middle East, the Pacific. I mean, World War, they call it World War One for a reason. Most people think World War One, they automatically go to the trenches. Uh, even if you stay on the West, that was tip one. Tip two, even if you stay on the Western Front, just stay out of the Middle Years. There wasn't that much trench warfare in 1914. And by 1918, the trenches were more or less broken, at least in certain uh, parts of the battlefield. The Oregon, um, uh, Bella Wood. We did Bella Wood. I mean, I mean, come on. I'm, not, I'm a Marine, and I'm not going to do Bella Wood from you know on the hundredth anniversary. They think they would come shoot me if I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> and you know, the, the, right. the last hundred days. It's literally where the term devil dog comes right. from. Right. Yep. The last hundred days. That you got Canadians. You've got uh, Australians with tanks. Believe it or not. Uh, they're British tanks supporting Australian infantry, but yeah, things really break loose in that last hundred days. Yeah, um, where it's again a more maneuver, so that the trenches you, you stick to the beginning and the end. And then if you want it, if you wanted that classic trench battle game, okay, the way you do it is, and this also helps with your miniature scale, and and we've done it and it works great. 
is you don't set up, okay, here are the French trenches, here are the German trenches. Somebody blows the whistle, everybody goes over the top, the other side gets the mother of all opportunity fire phases, everybody dies, enjoy your pizza. You know, it's <laughs> boring slaughter, you know. You, 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 honestly, you don't do it that way. You say, look, you build one set of trenches and one set of trenches only, because that trench is not a line. It's a cobweb. It's a belt of network, and it goes back in some places like half a mile. Yeah. So if you think you're going to fit two trench systems on a single 28-millimeter table, you're already crazy. So you just build one big, like, 8 by 4 20-millimeter, a 28-millimeter table. You have that trench network run up the entire length of that board and pretty much the whole width as well. And one side's assault troops are already in the other side's trench system. Now it almost becomes a tunnel rat game, which is honestly a lot more interesting. Right. Yep. Because you've got the, the front, you've got the observation trench, you've got the main trench of troops, you've got communication trenches, you've got support trenches, artillery, ammo dumps, headquarters. Uh, they, they, they didn't have radio really back then, but they still had like telegraph with wires. So certain trenches have wires in them. You've got objectives all over the place. Your sappers have to reach certain trenches that have wires running through them, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot there. But as far as crossing, no, you don't want to do that. So there are ways to do World War One. You just have to kind of be aware of the pitfalls and kind of, you know, avoid stepping on the landmines. Yeah. No pun intended. Uh, so uh, the war that I would not play is the Great Emu War. It's a real war. The what? The Great Emu War. Oh, uh, Ask an Australian about that. Yeah, I was going to say, hold on. I, it take, uh, the little Rolodex <laughs> in my mind was flipping there, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Jim, you want to fill people in on so, the Great Emo War? I don't know all the details, but honestly, didn't it like involve like four guys? Yeah, it, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a very small event. <laughs> so the, the Australian Army, again, I don't know the details. The Australian Army is way out in the outback. They're doing some kind of like 29 Palms. Um, you know, uh, NTC style uh, expedition training exercise. It's like 1910 or something. It's like right before World War One. They're way out in the middle of the outback somewhere. They're all spread out, and then one side, one like one little machine gun team, like realizes they're lost. They went down the wrong road. It's like four guys in a truck, and then they turn around and they try to head back down the same road, and a huge flock of emus, uh, the birds, yeah, so a very large, very aggressive bird that lives in Australia. It was kind of like just parked on the road and said, you know, the hell with you, we're not moving. So then they like fired a couple of shots in the air and the emus got spooked and like actually attacked the truck. And long story short, they tried to like get other units out to them. But that road was closed off and in the middle of the outback. You can't just off-road it. You'll, they'll, they'll never find your bones uh, that far out in the outback. So they tried to have somebody else go out and get them and they couldn't get through this thing. That They wound up cut off. They had to spend the night out there. Long story short, the Australian army was humiliated by a flock of birds, and uh, they've never lived it down, and everyone likes to make fun of them. Uh, yeah. can I play I, the I'm, probably getting, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably forgetting the, the details, but that's, that, those are the basic. No, things. that's pretty much it. 1932, World War One veterans were hired to go out and machine gun down emus. So... Oh, so other than being off 20 years. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, after... Uh, after, so here's something funny. On November 8th, members in the Australian House of Representatives discussed the operation. Following the negative coverage of the events in local media, 
that claimed included claims that only a few emus died. Actually, it was uh, two hundred to five hundred. Oh, um, but catastrophic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pierce was through military personnel and guns, and and they compared it after the withdrawal. Major Meredith compared the emus to Zulus and commented on striking maneuverability of emus, even when badly wounded. If we had a military division with bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face an, any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus, whom even dumb, dumb bullets could not stop. Damn. So, uh, a sad thing is that in a six-month period after they did, they got the emu war was over, they did a bounty system, 56,000 emus were killed. So, and then, of course, the world media got it, and then Australia just got bombarded with negative press. So, so that, they never lived it down yeah. twice. So, so then they just quit driving down that one road, and <laughs> that solved all their problems. So, I mean, yeah. Um, so the emus won, is what you're saying, Marty. Pretty yeah. much. The yeah. emus won. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the Aussies <laughs> capitulated to them. There's now a semi-autonomous emu republic somewhere in the outback that we don't know about. The Australian Army never goes down that road. They've never lived that down. Me and Dylan were playing Australian Fourth Royal Commando versus uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan in Valorant Victory, and it was a hidden movement system. Uh-huh. And because I was playing the Taliban, and he was thinking about going into this wooded hex, he was like, "No, we're going to avoid the wooden hex, uh, the, the woods hex. We're going to go around in the open desert through Taliban machine gun fire." I was like, "Why are you afraid of going into that uh, that wooden hex?" He's like, "Um." I think he was going to say IEDs because we had IEDs in that game. Uh-huh. But in the stream, I kind of cut him off. I said, you're afraid there are emus in that hex, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> I'd totally. rather go through Taliban for Sheikah Fire than mess with those emus again. No way. <laughs> well. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, the Great Emu War of 1932. It would be funny. I, I was going to say, I don't know. I might, that, might, that might be fun. Can we get, a, can we get an emu model? I There's imagine we can print one up there right? somewhere, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, but they actually made a musical adaptation of the story. Uh, the movie retelling events was written by John Cleese. Emu, the, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, that's, that's appropriate. I'm like, yeah. really? They did? John Cleese, all right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, never mind. I get it now. Yeah. Anyway. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a lot of battles or wars that are like taboo that you would just not do there. Yeah. I, I mean, don't... there are some events in some wars and battles. I definitely would not touch, you know, something related to genocide or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to game atrocities or, right. or war crimes kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, I'm, it, um, yeah. I'm pretty good with just about, Anything? I can't think of anything off the top of my head that, like, just the uh, nature of the battle uh, or the conflict turns me off and they're like, nope, there's no way I'm doing that. That's yeah. not appropriate. Whatever. I mean, you know, I, you know, I didn't like, you know, is that, you know, a lot of times we talk about that. When is, uh, when is it too soon for for veterans in right. particular uh, to game something? Are you kidding? I'll game Ukraine today. I got the stuff over at Chris's house. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, that literally, that's what that's what our uh, our, our planners yeah. had better be doing in yep. anticipation of things. So, speaking of Ukraine, Jim, did you want to update us on Ukraine? Yeah, um, I was going to say, just sort of segue as far as uh, when, when the turn 
table got around to me, like, what games would you not do? This is going to sound weird because I've done it heavily in the past. But right now, suffice it to say, at least uh, on my gaming table, there's a bit of a moratorium on the Ukraine. Um, or on Ukraine, I should say. I've done it a bunch of times in the past. I've done it in multiple systems. Uh, it's, we, our videos are out, our streams are out. So I, I'm not saying that, oh, it's, you know, it's too soon or whatever, anything like that. I was doing Ukraine in 2015. Um, I took a lot of shit for it. But uh, nevertheless, wanted to do it. Out it went. And ever since then, I've been making predictions because, you know, I became sort of known, at least like on tabletop and in our Discord and stuff like that, as, you know, this is the guy that wrote about Ukraine and he's been making predictions. And so far, not to sort of, you know, blow my own horn, but all my predictions so far have been, have, have held up uh, to a large extent. Yeah. Um, and I want, one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up today is I wanted to sadly update uh, on my prediction. So it is now um, February 12th when I'm saying this, because in past streams and videos, I've said, guys, don't worry. Guys, don't worry. It's not going to happen. Will you please loosen your sphincters, turn off CNN, turn off Fox, turn off the BBC. They are riling you up on purpose. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. That was in 2014, 2015, even when kind of stuff was happening. I w there was never going to be this, this huge invasion. Uh, nothing was going to happen in 2017. Uh, when it got serious again, and then when it got serious again in 2020, and even as late as, uh, or as recently as April 2021, I was banging that drum on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, and I meant it then, and uh, now I'm not really saying that. I am going to update my uh, statement on that, just in case something does happen and people look at our older videos and says, oh, this guy, you know, it's basically the, the Neville Chamberlain of sit rep skirmish, yep. you know, nothing, or sit rep podcast. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Holy shit, something happened. Um, so the, the specific factors, and I have a little list here. I'll go through it really quick. The reason I was saying that nothing was going to happen is, number one, numbers deployed. First thing that happened was the Russians have deployed 100,000 troops along the Ukraine border, to which I say, so what? You do not invade a country the size of Ukraine with 100,000 people, period. Uh, we went into Desert Storm with 600,000 combat troops. Uh, by the time you include all of the support people, we had 950,000 people. And that was Kuwait, a country about, you know, 5% the size of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, Iraqi Freedom, we had a grand total of six divisions. That includes the British. Uh, there are some attached brigades and stuff like that. Support, you, you still are going to go up to maybe 200,000, 220,000 people. And that's when Iraq was a joke. Um, uh, you know. So, again, 100,000 people, you're not going to invade and take over a country the size of Ukraine with 100,000 people. Also, the number was static. If you're going to do a military buildup, you don't throw 100,000 troops there, wait three months, and then attack while that 100,000 never went up. So these were all the factors that I was kind of looking in um, to in the past and saying, look, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen. Um, except now, some other things have changed in the last month or two that uh -huh. are starting to make me worry a little bit. Yeah. Number one, that 100,000 is growing yep. again. Last I read, it was 135, and it's still going up. So the number is growing, like you predict. When you're building up for an invasion, you set up a beginning force, and then you be ready to go. Um, they weren't doing that before. They are now. So, again, uh, I'm getting a little anxious about that. Another reason I wasn't worried in the past was where they were deployed. 
So the way they were deployed in previous escalations and in the earlier phases of this escalation was all along the border, which is not how you deploy when you're getting ready to invade a place. You don't set up your army shoulder to shoulder in a nice, even hands across America band, you know, all along the border and then just start moving forward. Now, analysts were suggesting something about a land bridge along the northern coast of the Sea of Azov, that whole Rostov-Mariupol corridor, sort of link up with the, uh, with the, with the Crimea. I wasn't really convinced of that. They're not really doing that anymore. However, they are starting to focus in, in certain areas. And what was really troubling, at least to me, maybe you guys will agree, is when they started deploying into Belarus. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you look at a map. Yeah, things get scary fast. When you look at a map, you look at where Belarus is, you look at where Kiev is. Number one, the fact that Belarus is in on this too. The Russians aren't alone any more than Ukraine is. Um, the Russians have allies as well, or at least, you know, allies slash puppets, you know, that's yes. a sliding scale. You can say the same thing with us, though, too. I mean, how, how much oh, yeah. do we control NATO? I mean, you know, 40% of the troops, 65% of every dollar that goes into NATO has been paid by me, you, and 300 million of our fellow John Q, Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayers. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's, so, there's a lot to be said about NATO. I don't want to get into that. Yeah, the, the Ruskies um, didn't, didn't invent the puppet government. Yeah. So um, so not only does Belarus open up the whole northern side of Ukraine's border as far as possible invasion routes, it also pushes the potential battle area much further west. It borders on Poland, a full-on NATO state. And, uh, yeah, look at that map. You're right down that Chernobyl corridor, right down the uh, Dnepr Valley, from Kirov in um, Belarus down through Pipriat in the Ukraine. You are into Kiev in 120 kilometers tops. Uh-huh, from yeah. Four, de- four deployment zones. Looking at how armies have moved in the past, that's two days. And Ukraine's military is not going to stop them. They're not even going to slow them down. Ukraine has wasted eight years. Um, again, I went into this in previous videos, so I don't want to you know, piss off too many people in Ukraine. Not impressed. And uh, the way their government, they're basically corrupt to the level of being run by the mafia, levels of corrupt. Um, they've handled what's been going on with their military they ought to be embarrassed and uh, their military uh, policy and their defense policy for the last eight years, ever since this kind of kicked off since 2014 can be summed up in three words, call uncle Sam. Uh, if things get really scary. Yeah. Meanwhile, so, they're trying to arm their civilian populace right now. Again, with these ultra right wing groups, which is another yeah. questionable act. Yeah. Well, a battalion of T-64 has ended up in the hands of the people who committed the Darfur genocide, the top 10 battle tanks that Ukraine has ever produced or in the Royal Thai Army. Someone's going to have to explain that to me. While their military is running Kickstarters to buy field jackets, socks, you know, scarves, yeah. coats, gloves, it's pretty gross. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it. The whole thing starts to remind me of Saigon in the late 60s. Um, a corrupt government that everybody hates, nobody wants. Um, now, the new president has done everything he can, but every time he tries to shake things up and actually clean the clean up his act a little bit. The rest of parliament shoots him down. The tracksuit mafia the regional, gets him. <laughs> the, the regional governor shut him down. Like the day he took office, he tried to fire five of his uh, like provincial or state or regional governors. I can't, I don't know what the exact terminology is. And yeah, the parliament shut him down like instantly. That was the day he took power. I think it was in 2018. Um, so they know that there's some serious problems in our government. They've been trying to clean it up. And that's the reason why Ukraine's military is not, really prepared to the extent it should be. They've had this worse, if it comes, but God hoping it doesn't, 
it's it's been they've had plenty of time they've had, they've had plenty of warning. Uh, last couple points. Um, so yeah, we talked about uh, the numbers that are deployed and where they're deployed. Last but not least, what units are deployed. So the first thing that happens is we're going to put 100,000 troops here. We're going to put all the scary stuff up front. We're going to put the tanks, the uh, guards, airborne brigades. We're going to put the surface-to-service missiles. All that scary offensive stuff is all over the place. It's doing maneuvers. It's running back and forth on the border. It's kicking up all this dust. That's saber rattling. Yeah, it's the old you're trying walk. to get a phone call. Yeah, you're, 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 you're trying to get somebody on the phone is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not doing that anymore, though. Um, the units are no longer running around on maneuvers. You're actually trying to hide their deployment a little bit, which is scary. And again, it's the units that are being deployed. It's uh, um, a lot of combat and civil engineers, air defense units. I'm seeing photographs mm-hmm. of S-300s and S-400s. Not stuff that's going to blow up enemy cities, stuff that's going to protect your troops on the ground. And what really popped my eyebrows up, bridging units. Uh-huh. Bridges don't scare anybody. You're not going to get a call to the UN or get Biden on the phone or uh, the Germans or the British or anybody on the phone by deploying bridges. But bridges are what you set up when your army, God forbid, might actually be moving somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's starting to get uh, on my nerve. Again, so in months past, I've said 95% no. Um, I stand by what I said at the time because the, 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 the situation was different at the time. I've gone through briefly and, and mentioned the things that have changed in recent times. So I'm going down to, again, I still don't think anything's going to happen. I'm definitely hoping nothing's going to happen. I'm just saying my confidence is down from 95% down to maybe 60%. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to go on the record and saying that uh, I am changing my posture as far as what's going on with the Ukraine. So I'm not going to run any more Ukraine games to bring us back on topic until it either starts and, you know, that ship has sailed or the crisis is, at least for the moment, resolved. It's never going away. Yeah. Well, and I, Kiev, Russia literally started in Kiev. Kiev is kind of the Boston of Russia. I mean, it goes back to the time of the Vikings. It goes back to the 10th century. It's yeah. not going away. Back when they were Rusks, yes. And, yeah. and you know, I think uh, my, my personal opinion on this is I don't think they necessarily want to invade Ukraine. What I think, you know... The, Putin is a, uh, you know, he's an intelligent dude. He does some crazy stuff, but he's an intelligent dude. He's a KGB guy through and through. He, he's smart. I think he, I think this is a, a large operation that the ultimate design is to support the separatists inside the Ukrainian border and have them affect regime change that is going to put a puppet government for him in there, and then he can bring them into the fold and do whatever he wants, whether it's uh, resources or being able to just you know claim some land, keep them out of NATO—that's a huge thing. Yeah, I was going to say what they what they what they really want. Of course, it would be great for them if they could get Ukraine back in their orbit. What they are desperately afraid of is keeping them out of our orbit. Again, this kind of yeah. is a slippery slope about the legitimacy of NATO and should we have disbanded NATO back in the '90s? And it's done a lot more harm than good. This is a mess of yeah. our own making. This yeah. is really all our fault. Well, uh, what what he's really afraid of is an Article Five issue uh, with NATO, where yes. you know you attack one, you've attacked all, and you by treaty you are obligated to defend your uh, fellow treaty members. Which is why we said in April, or why I said, let me not speak for the whole team. Back in April of last year, 
oh, like the last time this kind of reared its ugly head. And are they going to invade Ukraine? And I was like, come on, guys. The only thing, here are the two worst things that, that could happen for Putin right now. The worst thing is the separatists suffer a complete decisive defeat. That's the second worst thing that could happen in Ukraine for Putin. The very worst thing is the separatists win a complete and decisive victory. If the separatists yep. just magically win, they get the death star. Now win. The LPR and the DNR just literally fall off Ukraine and they either set up semi-autonomous republics or they just flat out rejoin Russia. That's Putin's worst nightmare. Because now Ukraine is free of any territorial disputes because Crimea's gone. I mean, and the LPR and the DNR are out of the picture. Okay, now, okay, Ukraine has had some bites taken out of it, but territory-wise, geostrategic-wise, it now has a clean bill of health. Um, they're clearly a wounded party. They're the victims of Russian aggression. They've got plenty of friends, especially in Poland and the Baltic states, you know, close-up, front-line NATO powers. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're in NATO, like, on with, with oil on the skids. They're going to be in the EU almost overnight, and then from there it's normally a 10-year process. I'm sure they would fast-track it. Within five years, they're in NATO. Once you have Ukraine in NATO, you have German battle tanks in Kharkov. Right. That's not going to bring up any bad memories from, it, you know, 80 years ago. It, <laughs> right, yeah. As, as well as any other NATO force, you know, because suddenly Ukraine becomes yeah. the, the training ground for NATO, and they're all rotating through there. You know, so you've got Germans in, in Ukraine. Again, that brings up bad memories. You've got Americans um, along the Dnieper River. Holy crap, man. I mean, that's... Again, again, this is stuff I said back in April. Putin is being very aggressive tactically. He's being very aggressive uh, operationally, strategically. He is on shit my pants defense. Oh yeah, he is terrified. Yeah, and again, where, that blue red line that used to run right through the middle of Germany is now running through former Soviet republics. Yeah, and yeah, I'm not trying to defend Putin, but that's. It, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. I'm not trying to defend Putin. I'm just saying that this is where he's coming from. And if you want to predict the, the actions of your opponent, you have to get in his head for a minute. What is he afraid of? What can he do? And what does he want? You answer those three questions, and you kind of know what he's going to do. Yeah, and I, and I think ultimately he doesn't want to do it through uh, through direct military action. Uh, but again, it's the it's the elephant walk to support the separatists on the other side and within the borders. You know, hey, look at us. You know, we're here. You know, if, oh, yeah. if you really need us. Did you see I brought the bridges over? I can right over the river, drive my tanks. Do, 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 do. Recent, ep, uh, recent issues of uh, Modern War magazine um, have sort of laid this out in a six-point plan. It's like the new Russian doctrine. They call it deniable warfare. Right. And uh, I used to call it Sudetenlane 2.0, which is basically there's a country next to me where there are some people that ethnically identify as us. There are some. There are a lot of Russians, especially since Russians I, in Ukraine. Especially since I put them there. Years ago, well, Catherine, the, Catherine the Great put them there yeah. in the seventeen and the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, seventeen eighteen hundreds. But yeah, I'm gonna stir, I'm gonna send some more in there. I'm gonna send in little green men. I'm gonna stir shit up, and then oh, I'm gonna come protect my people. The Germans yeah. did it in in the Czech Republic or in Czechoslovakia in thirty eight. It wasn't cool then, and the Russians are doing it all over the place. They did it in Crimea, Ukraine, three Baltic states, especially Lithuania. They're, they 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 did it successfully in Belarus. Um, Georgia, they literally just hacked off a slice of Georgia. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh God, Ossetia, Ossetia's kind of down in the Caucasus as well. There's another place that's kind of near Romania. The name escapes me at the moment. 
it's an old playbook, and they've been doing it, and they've been refining it as they go. Gee, if only we could see it coming. Uh... Yeah, it's only like, you know, if, if we read a little bit of history. And when I mean history, I mean like last year. Yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> Not even going back to old times. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the last the last hundred years would pr- give you a really good idea, but you don't really need to go that far back at all. No, I mean, they're, they're literally doing it in two or three other places at the same time. It's, it's their new doctrine. And it's delivered mixed results. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it works, it works. So, well, and, and even when it hasn't worked, for the most part, it, it hasn't hurt their position. It just didn't give them the outcome they wanted. It's, it's deniable warfare. If yeah. it doesn't work out, eh, oh, well, sh- you know, shrug yeah. your hands. And it's all kinds of stuff. It's stirring up um, the local uh, people who may identify with you uh, ethnically. It's covert operations, except the Russians have proven shockingly bad at that. I was going to um, say, their covertness up, is not, you know, <laughs> not what uh, it used up, to up be. To the, <laughs> uh, up to the guy who, like, posted, like, a, a, it, they don't, it's not Facebook. It's YT or BT, whatever basically Russia's Facebook used to be. And uh, the, the the guy from Vice News literally tracked him down. I was like, "Look, I got you had your GPS on your phone when you posted that." Oh yeah, the uh, yeah the account. Russian uh, the Russian tank loader or whatever he was. He was a tank, yeah. tank crew member. He, the 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 the, uh, the 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 guy from Vice News, uh, Simon Ostrovny, I think his name was. He yeah. he went to that exact same spot. He found the tree. He found the destroyed building. He took the same photo with him in the picture, and he showed it to the guy. He's like, "I stood where you stood." The only thing moves. The only thing missing were the boot prints. Oh, by the way, I was like a hundred miles inside Ukraine when I did this. Oh, I was not there. Y- yes, you were there. About uh, that. <laughs> Turns out you were. Yeah. And then that guy was never heard from yeah. again because you know. Yeah. <laughs> they probably got killed. Yeah, I was gonna say. Turns out they were covert on that. Yeah. yeah they're, so they, I guess, what they think is covert warfare. What they've been a lot better with is any kind of cyber security, cyber cyber warfare, cyber terrorism. Um. They've been a lot more successful with that, and yeah, all kinds of you know discretionary warfare, uh, the, 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 um, deniable warfare, asymmetrical warfare. Yeah, where if it doesn't work out, hey, you shrug your shoulders, you throw the manila folder in the trash, and you try again somewhere else. It costs you nothing because you never did send in your armies. No, and and you know you're not you're not compromised at the UN. You're not compromised. You know, and again, you call it you call it a training exercise, and you and you did get training value out of it. You know, so you did oh, yeah. get to exercise your troops. You got to exercise your command. You know, the Russians got to figure out which one of their commanders they're going to execute. You know, uh, so you know, there, got there is some some slight good news from what I'm reading. The Russians, to a certain degree, are kind of tapped. I don't know how much else they can deploy there without stripping too much out of other military districts. Yeah, I was going to say they're, Yeah, there's there's. Yeah, they're slowing. Uh, you know, they were starting to ramp up, and now they're starting to uh, kind of stabilize where they're at. Because to your point, now it's what are we willing to give up to go over and increase our our power here? Because yeah, the Russian military is nowhere near. It's, it's ten times better than the old Soviet, you know, Red Bear used to be. Um, they're they're a lot more like us as far as a small. Uh, they still have conscripts. Don't get me wrong, uh, but they're kind of a lot closer to. Well, at least compared to where they used to be, they're no longer this huge force of just conscripts. Right. So, 130,000 troops in a certain area is a lot for them. Um, they like suspiciously, they're suddenly getting very friendly with China. Yeah, we're all um, shocked. They need more. Yeah, they need more friends. Number one, diplomatically, China's on top of the world right now because of the Olympics. They're like everyone's favorite. 
and uh, they're in the media spotlight. And then number two, and if Russia wants to deploy a lot more stuff there, they're going to have to start pulling stuff off of other fronts. And as much as the Russians hate NATO and they hate us, they hate the Chinese probably a little bit more. The Chinese might pose an even bigger threat than we do. So they're going to have to pull a lot of stuff out of those Eastern TBDs if they want to actually start putting more stuff on Ukraine. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Putin is becoming very friendly with our boy uh, Winnie the Pooh over there yep. to the point where it's it's almost becoming embarrassing. It's like, Putin, come on, man. There's, have we, some respect for yourself. Bro, we see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's hopefully some... Yeah, there's hopefully some 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 light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, yeah, again, I still don't think I'm almost like sixty percent, maybe even fifty fifty. But in the past, I was always saying, everyone, you know, loosen your your sphincters a little bit. It's like ninety five percent, nothing's going to happen. I just wanted to go on record again, February twelfth, twenty twenty two. That uh, that's no longer the case, uh, ominously. So right. we'll see. Very good, sir. Uh, you have uh, you have some fine insights there, and uh, yeah, I agree. We got to look at uh, look at history, look at know who, who we're dealing dealing with there. But until we make it a game, it doesn't matter to us. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that was awesome. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? It helps if I turn my mic on. Yeah, can any you turn last your mic thoughts <laughs> before we wrap up the show? <laughs> Holy crud! We need to hire. I, I guess I. I, I I guess I put Bill to sleep with that. No, I, I, I actually uh, had to take I, a uh, latrine break. I, so I think he was over there downloading your <laughs> DLC, dude. He was busting around on the laptop, downloading something. <laughs> <laughs> the class one download. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts from the crew? And Jim, it's good to have you back in the into the fold, sir. Yes. Thanks very much. Good, good to, to be back. Yeah. Good to hear your voice, buddy. So, Chris is shaking his head. No. Mm. Nope. Got nothing. All right. No, no, no. I think we summed I, it all up pretty good, huh? I mean, uh, we we do need to uh, we need to think about yeah. midway a little bit uh, yeah. as far as uh, prepping the battlefield, literally. Yeah. With, uh, some ships. Some uh, ships. Well, because I know you've got the victory at sea kit, but we're gonna I, need more. No, yeah. no, I got the STL files for the entire battle of midway. Yeah. Well, share with the group, or so, let us know what you need done, or. Well, I, I gotta actually look at them. I downloaded them. Well, I put them into the uh, slicer and go from there. So. You know, we'll go print them up. Boom. Yeah. That so, might not be 300 files, but it's definitely going to be 300 ships. 300 ships? Yeah. If you include the whole battle. <laughs> so now, then, again, some of them are going to be like, oh, this is a XYZ class destroyer. Yeah. Yeah. So it won't be 300 files. Yeah. And you'll need like 20 of those. Oh. Some of the battles, some of the ships will be unique. Some of the ships will be, you need three of these, you need five of these, you need 20 of those. Yeah. Right, right. Like that. So, yeah, we've got, uh, so I've got this figured out. So it's now, says. well, it's going to be a three-tier game. What I mean by a three-tier game is tier one. So we're playing wizard's chest? Or, yes, uh, wizard's chest. So th- what I mean by three-tier or three-level, however you want to look at it. So tier one is the admiral's table. Uh-huh. Okay. So in two separate rooms, we will have the Japanese command and we'll have the uh, American command. So you guys will have the same table gridded and... Uh, there will be a game, what do you call them, a game master, right. game whatever judge. Yeah. And Can the, I please have a virtual copy of that table? I will run it on my computer. Neither of them will see it. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to figure player. all the ins and outs. Yeah. This is just the idea and how we put it to make reality. Is what we're, 
where we'll have to come up. But the idea is nope. everybody has the identical table. So the Japanese are maneuvering their fleet. The Americans are maneuvering the fleet, you know, and you're sending out your PBYs or whatever you're sending out to try and locate. Once the judge determines something has found something, right? right. Then you go to tier two. Tier two is a bigger table where that area where you have discovered something, um, then we put on uh, fleet markers or whatever. So, However, we... So it's still like an admiral's table, but it's a zoomed in. Right. Admiral's so now table, it's, okay, this PBY has found, uh, it appears to be a Japanese fleet or ships or whatever. You know, we have to determine how that's going to be. And then you start maneuvering from there, Right. Once we get to the actual battle itself, where the aircraft are attacking a carrier or whatever, we go to the combat table. That's right. tier three. Okay. And then that's when we bring in the 1800 scale ships right, right. and do the battle on that. So does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, one, tra- does, yeah. one table to track detection, one yep. table to track movement, one table to track combat. So we, we get that fog of war. Oh, yeah. I, so, I see that coming. Oh, you definitely, you absolutely <laughs> need that. I, the way I've done it in the past, I've sort of combined uh, tiers one and two, but uh-huh. that's going to be up to you as far as you know how, yeah. how you want to do it. Um, but yeah, you definitely need at least two, at yeah. least two. Three, three sounds like it might work as well. I'm not trying to yeah. you know, change your idea already, but um, you definitely need at least two because trust me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've done it before with, uh, I mean, we've all played Midway, the Avalon Hill game. God yeah. bless Avalon Hill. I got it. I'm it's looking not, at it right now. It's not really what we're looking for. It's a glorified <laughs> battleship. Right, exactly. Um, heavily glorified. It's not it as random as Battleship. But it's kind of like Battleship. It is. Um, but, yeah, you have to send out uh, your PBYs or your B-17Cs or your float planes or your dive bombers, which doubled often as scout planes, on long-range missions, find the enemy. Then there's got to be some kind of mechanic that determines the accuracy of the report. Yep. Because just because you found that fleet, some of the reports, you've actually read the transcripts that came back, we're like, holy crap, man! You were way off as far as okay. You found some some actual metal in the water, yeah. But as far as uh, and you got the course right, and uh, I guess uh, identification is the big one. Yeah, heavy cruisers mistaken for battleships, mistaken for carriers, no carriers. Weather is a huge issue because the scout plane doesn't see the whole fleet. The guys show up expecting one carrier, they find four, and yeah, it turns into a big mess. Yeah. So we'll have to. And of course, the actual actual battle. Yeah, battle maps so we'll have to figure out that um you know the easy part to be honest with you on this one is going to be the tables themselves but yeah yeah i mean seriously it's that creating the tables themselves will be the easy part um you know it's just a different scale of hex or grid um you know most japanese win (laughs) japanese win and reach midway you've got kondo's second invasion fleet you've got japanese marines on the ground yeah but that depends on how the game goes yeah so that's our idea on that, so we'll talk about that more in depth as we get uh, planning that out. But that's I'm looking at a three-tier system because I really want to simulate the fog of war of really hunting and searching for the fleets. Um, so if you know both fleets are in separate rooms in the beginning and they're just doing their maneuver and, and all that stuff, you're not going to have any idea, right? Right. So well, and it, it'll just it'll be just like being yeah. in a, a talk or a sink. And- yeah. You know, that the same, you know, reports have come in saying this, yeah. and, you know, that. And, and you know, so you have your game judges running back and forth, and they're your Intel reports, right? Yep. So they they will provide the injects with, uh, you know, uh, this has been discovered, or yeah. there's no report, or 
you've lost communication and it just hasn't come back. Yeah. So, I mean, this is exciting. I'm really excited about this idea. So, all right, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. We want to thank you all for joining us on this next episode of the Sit Rep Podcast. This is episode four. Um, so again, this has been pre-recorded, uh, just for timing purposes, but, uh, so some of the stuff may be outdated by the right. time you hear it, but, uh, we wanted to keep you in the loop. And again, we want to welcome Jim back to the show and for Chris and Marty, this is Bill. And we thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next show. Take care. You have been listening to the Citrep podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening.